welcome to episode three of Long Ball Footy Ball with myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney. Hello. Uh, thanks again for listening, and thank you to everyone who listened to the last two episodes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun doing this. We're having a real blast recording these episodes for you every week and uh, getting stuck into some of these games. Very shortly, we're going to be running through all the results from this week's Premier League action. Then we're going to be looking at the moments of the week and the games to look out for next week, and followed by everyone's favourite segment, me and Barney's disastrous attempts at fantasy football, which, no spoilers, but I don't think it went any better, did it, really? It's been absolutely disastrous. I also want to pack it in now. <laughs> That's the spirit. Well, more on that later. Well, first things first, how's your week been, Barney? Yeah, it's been, it's been nice. Uh, lots of football again. Fantastic Europa League games on Thursday. We both tuned into Rio Ave versus Milan, didn't we? It's amazing how many people, attention at court, a lot of people were talking about I mean, that penalty shootout is... It was unbelievable. If you don't know what we're talking about already, never fear, because we will come on to it. But yeah, there was an astounding penalty shootout between AC Milan and uh, Rio Ave. We also saw Sporting Lisbon crash out of the Europa League in pretty disastrous fashion against mm. Austrian side Lask. So yeah, unfortunately, two less Portuguese teams in Europe. Um, but uh, still got Pozzo and Benfica, and they had some interesting draws as well. And yeah, and now we're just looking forward to the competitions getting underway properly and seeing how Benfica and Porto get on. Uh, in terms of Premier League action, it was a bit of a mixed bag with uh, a handful of really good and exciting games and a handful of games which were not the best. But we're going to com- cover all of them nonetheless. And we're going to start off with a game that Barney watched on Saturday. And that was Porto versus Maritimo. I did uh, recommend it as my uh, game to look out for. You did Yes, yes, um, of course he did. <laughs> uh, quite smugly, I have to say, uh, shows an absolute cracker. Um, Maritimo winning 3-2 in the end. First time Maritimo have ever won at Porto. And it really, uh, everyone's, well, a lot of opinions about this win. Lots of anti-footballs branded about a lot. And I guess it's a bit, un- for me, it was a bit unfair. Maritimo obviously coming off the back of that 2-1 win at Tondea where the second half, like we talked about last week, was a real like they really saw the game out the uh, indecent way, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, but I sort of disagree with it, and uh, I thought it was a fantastic performance from that. Mm. They set up with five at the back, which uh, which worked really well with the wing backs, um, and they just frustrated Porto. The wing backs attacked well, and they chose their moments when to Pepe and transfer member a number of occasions were just miles apart. And that's where Rodrigo Pino got his first goal. He just found that gap in between. He had the the right wing back, Nanu and him, just sort of splitting them up. A, a classic Rodrigo Pino goal, you could say, you could say for like seeing the goals he scored already this season. Um, just nice control in the box and finding the corner. Uh, but then Porto's got themselves back into it. Pepe got a goal from a corner. If you haven't seen the highlights, it was a bullet header. I thought it was a really firm header. It's always nice when a, a bulls player I guess a decent header as well, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but then yeah, uh, Maritimo got ahead again. Free kick hits the wall, comes back, and the the second shot hits the bar as well. It's a great shot, and it falls to Pino, uh, Rodrigo Pino. Just, uh, heads it home, almost like a, a very quick reaction, and went straight in. It was an instinctive play, wasn't it? He was. You could see him checking as soon as the ball went in the back of the net. He was checking with the linesman to see whether it was outside. No, the port of that line was so quick pushing up, and that's sort of what. Um, did it for them really it's just they, they were too quick and, and, and too far away to get anywhere near him he ended up going in, injured actually yeah, Rodrigo Pino I thought he was really badly injured but I think he was just going because he wanted to get potentially a hat-trick but then yeah going back to Maritino they just they defended so well that they switched to a back five from a back four previously and just really frustrated um, Porter there was no gaps for them to get in and some really like heroic defending as well uh, so yeah they, and the Maritima holding on really well um, and he gets the 86th minute and then um, Porter get awarded a penalty which was never a penalty didn't seem to go to VAR as well which was really bizarre it was really brilliant to say for anyone who's going to go back and watch the highlights the two things I, I wanted to point out was one in the highlights they do a great job of slowing down the actual incident which shows that the Maritimo defender clearly gets the ball before hitting uh, the Porto player on the leg. And the other really funny thing is that when you hear, when you listen to the sound from the stadium, while Alex Tellers is lining up to take this penalty, you can hear the goalkeeper saying, chip me, chip me, go on, chip me. It's like, it's hilarious. And it was obviously clearly very off-putting for Alex Tellers. I mentioned um, the Maritino goalkeeper, Amit Abazedi, last week. You know, his, his tricks, you know, going out for cramp and stuff, uh, wasting time last game. But he seems like a real... A real character and this this character who like it's what the whole Maritimo 
team were. They were just these these warriors who were just fighting for Lisa Vidigal to sort of get this win over the line. And I I, I really thought he did his homework with his pen. You know, um, Alex Teller's pen's gone left hand side. I think the last two he's taken in the league so far. So he sort of took that gamble and sort of guessed that he would sort of mix it up this time. And it was a really fantastic save. I just thought Porto were, I wrote naive. They really played in some Maritima's hands. We sort of had a little glimpse last week about what Maritima can do if they want to drag this game out. And they just didn't help themselves, Porto. They kept giving away these silly fouls, which are like, you could see coming a mile off these players are going to sort of feel a nudge and go down straight away. And then having missed a pen, I just think they just sort of overcommitted and Nanu's goal for the third for uh, Maritimo, which was a wonderful finish, make no mistake. But Danilo just didn't get back. He just didn't put it in. And, you know, he, he shouldn't have been left by himself back there. But And that's what, yeah, that's what sort of ultimately got in the win. The lucky goal in the end uh, to sort of make it 3-2 uh, right in the end, just stoppage time. But a really disappointing performance from Porto for me. It was a consolation goal by the end, really, you have to say. They didn't really show any signs of coming back into it. I think I agree with you entirely. I think it's really harsh, some of the criticism that Maritima were getting. And we spoke about this before we started recording, about maybe whether it's a cultural thing where we respect the performance of Maritima more, because perhaps in English football we respect more the way an underdog can play a tactically very smart game and execute it really well, which I think that's what Maritima did. It's worth saying that Maritimo worked really hard to get a 2-1 lead. I think they were winning 2-1 up until by the 85th, by the 85th minute, they were 2-1 up. Yep. And, you know, they defended well, they were seeing the game out um, and took the opportunity to make, to go 3-1 up. So full credit to them because they... Yeah, they they didn't set up to stink the place out. They they were there to get a goal or two. I think from Porter's side, I thought, I'm really on a manner for the right-back at was their most effective player really he seems to have kind of gaps and get in into the box quite often that's what was missing from Porto's game they just had no one to sort of unlock or find that key pass Luis Diaz had come in for um, Arib, uh and that meant Otovia dropping a little back a little bit but he, he was quite disappointed to us he came off quite early the substitutes they brought on they brought in Taremi who Ended up having one of like most amount of shots, but all of them were just hopeful and poor, and never really testing the keeper at all. And then it's the three youngsters as well, and it's just that's what's worrying, isn't it? We mentioned last week about Porto's bench, and I know they've got Nakajima to come back at some point from injury, but they were missing that that someone to unlock the, the Maritima's defence. They've got Alex Tellers on his way to Man United, a man who's provided fifty assists in his time at Porto, let alone twenty six goals. I think you do worry where. Uh, that creativity is going to come from. And then also losing Danilo. I know he's a, one of the holding midfielders, but a, a very big player for them. He's obviously the captain. Um, he's now gone to PSG uh, today. I do. They need. I think there's still plans for them to bring one or two players in. I think Tony Martinez is over the line, but it wasn't the strikers who were lacking. It was the creativity in midfield. And whether they're going to rely on these young players like Vieira who came on, we'll have to see. But we can obviously dwell on Porto, but... Still, for me, credit has to go to Maritimo. Um, Rodrigo Pino with the two goals. He had 16 touches, which was like one of the lowest for any player on the pitch. And he still got two goals. He really took his chances. And also the wing-backs, Claudio Wink on the right and Marcelo Herms who'd come in for uh, China, who'd obviously got the red card last week, um, had really the impressive displays. They knew when to attack. They were smart with their runs, and but then defended really, really well. Yeah, and the goalkeeper's off. Of course, once again, that penalty save, if you can look at it. It's fantastic. I think we both agree that it's a great. It was a great team performance from Maritimo, and I think the players can be proud of themselves after the effort that they put in. Yeah, I think uh, with this result, it made the Benfica game on Sunday even more interesting, particularly the way that played out. I think you watched this one, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That's a very good point, actually, because obviously Benfica would have seen that result and known that getting a win at home against Florence would have opened up that title gap by three points. Um, and that's exactly what they did. I think it's what everybody would have expected going into this game before the game. Forens obviously lost their first two opening games. Benfica had won their first two in pretty convincing fashion. And it was a very business-like performance from Benfica in the first half, perhaps lacking a little bit of the intensity of their last two games. They didn't look quite as dominant, but still played a good game. But they got a good early goal from one of last season's best partnerships. Rafa setting up Pizzi with a lovely comeback. That goal annoyed me. Forens um, centre-back tried to play out to left-back and they, they, uh, Rafa intercepted mm. it and it was away. They were three on two, on, and the midfielders just did not track back at all. There was no urgency, no pace, and Pizzi was just allowed to just sprint in. No one followed him. I, I was really disappointed at that from Torrens. That's just It was just very basic. Yeah, that's a very good point, and unfortunately, that kind of 
lack of self-belief was a bit of a theme uh, throughout this game and throughout the first two games, I think, for Varane's. I think I'll touch on that more in a moment. It wasn't the most eventful first half, but the game really came alive in the second half when Otamendi, uh, a new signing who we, it's fair to say, I don't think we were very optimistic about him signing. For We've got our doubts, yeah. But to be fair to him, uh, he had been pretty solid in the first half. Hadn't had much of a test, but he gave away a really stupid penalty. He pretty much ended up stamping on Stojkovic's foot. There was really no need for it. There wasn't really a clear-cut chance on offer. And uh, it was VAR in the end who awarded the penalty. What, what followed on from that can only be described as incredibly bizarre when one of our favourites, Ryan Gould, stepped up to take it and put a decent left-footed penalty into the bottom right corner, just not quite far enough into the corner to beat Odysseus, who had dived the right way and made a good save. However, he pushed the ball back into the box, which was then buried by Luca. So at this point, it's 1-1 to Ferenc. The Ferenc players are really happy. Things turned really bizarre when the goal was ruled out. Initially, I thought the goal had been ruled out because Odysseus was off his line. So that really confused me. But then watching back the replay, it became clear that the goal was ruled out because Ferenc players had come into the box before Ryan Gould had taken the penalty. I mean... This is basic stuff, right? If you're friends, you want to be getting the basics right. The players know the rules. They know this is a great opportunity to score. So Ryan Gould retakes the penalty. And he does... I mean, I I saw this coming. Even I predicted this was going to happen. He puts it in exactly the same spot. And Odysseus dives the same way again and saves it. Uh, and we were talking about this as the game went on. I was saying to you, I knew exactly what he was going to do. Well, first of all, when you have to retake a penalty, the pressure is instantly doubled. I think I, if I was the manager, I might have change taker at that point because the pressure is way too much but then like I said if it was me I think I would go to the same place you know make the keeper make the decision make the big guess but um, obviously you guessed right I mean it, personally yeah, like I said I would change taker at that point to be fair to Ryan Gould it was a really high pressure situation and I think from his perspective he's obviously gone look I back myself to score and I back myself to take the penalty the way I want to take it. But yeah, Odysseus makes a good save and pushes the ball behind from a corner. But it doesn't end there when, of course, after Ryan Gould missing the same penalty twice, what happens? He takes the corner, puts the ball into the box, and it's headed home from Luca. So he's redeemed himself with an assist, and this time it is actually 1-1. I'm sure all the forensic players were looking to VAR to see if this one was going to get ruled out. But it did stand. And from that point on, Forens had a really good game. They'd shown a lot of promise in their first two games and it looked like they really turned a corner mentally. They really got back into the game and it even looked like they'd taken the lead when Ryan Gould cut back for Isidoro. But again, Ryan Gould heartbreakingly ruled offside. All the friends players were, you know, running off to the touchline to celebrate. Fair play to the linesman though. I mean, it was clearly offside and the scoreline's taken back to 1-1. But... It was so frustrating for a neutral because that really seemed to take the wind out of the foreign sails. And the game just kind of settled back into this kind of drab tempo of Benfica taking more control of the ball, getting more control of the game. You know, this is the time when friends really need to stay strong and capitalise on the momentum that they've got. But they pretty much lost it. And in the end, it was Benfica who managed to make another breakthrough about 15 minutes before the end of the game. Grimaldo put in a really, really delightful ball. And uh, it was the substitute, Harris Seferovic, who made no mistake. He buried a towering header. The defender had no chance. Didn't even get close to him. So it was 2-1 to Benfica. And this is when, as you said earlier, that kind of lack of commitment tracking back for Ferenc players, that really came into. I mean, the defence players looked, Ferenc players looked defeated. They looked tired. There was no effort from them. And and in the end, Benfica got a third Um it was a simple counter-attack and it was the second goal for Severovic and the third for Benfica. There was a consolation. It ended 3-2 in the end. Um, but Ferenc were really gifted that consolation in the fifth minute of stoppage time when the new Benfica signing Otamendi was way too casual in possession just outside his own box. The Ferenc striker Patrick picked his pocket, rounded the keeper and it was 3-2. But it really was a consolation. And I feel like I'm a broken record saying the same things again. There was some promise from friends, but they really, really need to turn a corner and start capitalising on some of that promise. That's it. Like, at some point, it's going to come for them. You know, it almost came in this game. But soon, hopefully, they'll they'll get a win or get, a, you know, get a few goals from the... Like, and that should hopefully give them a bit of momentum. Because, like you said, there's been glimmers in these last few games, but it just hasn't sort of worked together. I thought Benfica didn't help themselves at all in this match. And the centre-back pairing for me was was of interest, obviously, starting um, Otamendi and Jardel. They just don't have this presence, you know, um, for the for Luca's goal from the corner. Just didn't get up anywhere near the ball. Um, 
And he's quite a small centre-back, Dr. Mendy. He hasn't got that much height. And there are a few players in this league who will... We've seen a few performances where there's these dominant, um, not only tall strikers, but tall centre-backs who are aerial threats. And that, that, that could come again this season, I think. The Benfica centre-back situation is really quite an interesting one. I mean, obviously Ruben Diaz has left. That seems inevitable. He was a good young player. And the Benfica business model is to move on those players for big fees. But the players that they've got in to replace him, I mean, at the moment... Benfica have got four centre-backs on the books. They've got Ferro from last season, Jardel, who was there last season, the new signing for Tongren, who I think I think most people are in agreement was a good signing, especially yeah. as a free agent. And now, of course, Otamendi, who we questioned his signing last week. It's yet to be seen how he will perform week in, week out. But that was a slightly strange one, given his age. And when you think about you've got two left-sided centre-backs in Jardel and Vertonghen and two right-sided centre-backs in Otamendi and Ferro, you're pretty much going to be playing with Fotongren or Jardel every game, both in their 30s. And you've got Ferro. I could go into this a lot more, but I thought was made an unfair scapegoat last season when Benfica were at their lowest point of their demise last season. And Otamendi, who I'm not really sure what he offers. If you're partnering him with either Jardel or Vertonghen, you've got a very slow centre-back partnership there. Um, a lot of experience, sure, but when they come up against some of the quicker players, I don't really see them coping very well. Yeah, I think with the centre-back situation, it's, it'd be interesting to see if they manage to get someone over the line on a, a deadline day. George Jesus has come out and said uh, sort of about Ferro. He's, he's talked about how he had such an impressive debut season two seasons ago, but then last season was a, a different season. He says there's obviously this scapegoat thing there, I feel. When he looks at his stats last season, they're pretty much identical to Ruben Diaz. Uh, you know, Obviously, the stats don't tell the whole story, but when you've got this 23-year-old young centre-back, you know, who obviously has ambitions for the national team, you know, and could hopefully push on like Diaz did. You've got to be playing them, I think, and I, I think it's a shame that, well, I hope he gets given the opportunity this season. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you talk about him having very similar stats to Ruben Diaz. I mean, I'm happy to put my neck out there and say, when I was watching Benfica last year, I thought either of them could have been dropped. They, was a, they were playing a partnership of Ruben Diaz and Ferro. And the results were really poor and they were defending really badly. But in my opinion, Ruben Diaz was defending just as poorly as Ferro. It was clearly a psychological thing. They were in a really bad run of form. And either of those two could have been dropped. But in the end, I think it was obviously Ferro who was going to be the full guy. Because Ruben Diaz has come through the academy. He's the one they have big hopes for. But I think what he needs at this point is good man management. You know, a manager who's going to put his arm around him. You know, give him the confidence that he needs to get back to the good form he showed a couple of seasons ago. And neither of us know a lot about Jorge Jesus, but from the little bits we've seen, I think already I'm getting the impression that Jorge Jesus is not exactly the kind of put-your-arm-around-someone manager. Yeah, at the end of the day, though, you know, they've got three points. Um, they're able to bring on a strike from the bench, get two goals for them, uh, get that over the line. Uh, they still haven't thought they've had a great start to the season. Not as good performance this game, but still three points, and that's what matters, really. Yeah, exactly. And unlike Porto, they were able to register three points and it leaves them top of the table with nine points from three games, so I'm sure. So I'm sure there won't be too many complaints from the Benfica camp after that game. All right, the next game we're going to move on to wasn't the biggest score of the week, but I think there were plenty of talking points from this one. Vittoria Guimaraes versus Passos Ferreira. Vittoria Guimaraes managed to win 1-0, their first win of the season, but it wasn't the most convincing performance. Um, this might happen a few times this season, but I love it when you feel like a, a team has listened to the podcast and taken what you've said on board. Because <laughs> uh, 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 they started Bruno Durante through the middle and they had um, Edwards on, on the left and Kresma on the right. During the game, they didn't look too convincing, but um, it's always nice to see when it... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I will take personal credit for that one. I mean, I said... <laughs> I said last week that Bruno Duarte should be playing up front with those three. And what does the manager Thiago do? Starts Bruno Duarte up front with Charisma on the left and Edwards on the right. Very sensible. Um, Vittoria were looking for their first win. And not only their first win, but their first goal of the season. After a 0-0 with Rio Ave and a 1-0 loss to Benavente. And Vittoria started the first half playing the nicer football, uh, controlling the game, but not really creating any clear-cut chances. It was Passos who, while playing quite defensively, had three really good chances, I thought, from set-piece crosses into the box and some really good counter-attacks. Um, they really put the pressure on the Vittoria defence uh, and Bruno Varela, the Vittoria goalkeeper, had a number of really important saves to make to keep it 0-0. Passos probably would have been a bit gutted not to go into half-time 1-0 up based on the number of chances that they had. Uh, and Vittoria failed to register a single shot on target 
in the first half. And Passos kept that pressure up into the second half. Uh, Douglas Tank, your man from the Fantasy Football Party, had two really good chances to score. I know you were texting me saying, has he put one away yet? Uh, he had two good chances. One was a close-range header, um, and one was heroically saved by Varela, who was having an amazing game to keep uh, Vittoria in it. Uh, Passos really had a number of good chances to score. Uh, about 50 to 60 minutes in, though, I thought Vittoria started to con- to control the game a bit more. I think the difference was, then they st- was when they started to build up faster. There was less of the kind of passing and controlling the game, and it was a lot more direct, getting the ball up the pitch quickly. Uh, and in, and eventually they did break the deadlock about 10 minutes before time, uh, when Rochinha was brought down on the edge of the box by Fonseca. I thought that was a really bad pen to give away. It was a really silly pen to give away, wasn't it? Because it wasn't even like he was in a goal-scoring position. He was right on one side of the box towards the touchline, and it was a really daft foul. I mean, the defenders should have seen that coming. And it was Andre Andre, the Victoria captain, who buried the penalty bottom left. I thought, it, I thought it was quite interesting that Karejma wasn't on pens. Obviously, he's come into the team as the kind of the new man on the block, but clearly Andre Andre still has a bit of influence on the team as the captain. He was like, nah, mate, I'm taking the penalties. <laughs> and he did bury it, bottom left. So fair enough. There was another funny moment with Karejma actually when... Um, so Marcus Edwards had been subbed off earlier and uh, Karejma was subbed off about 85 minutes in towards the end of the game. And he walks along the subs bench giving a high five to everybody as he goes. And Marcus Edwards is kind of sulking because he's been taken off early. He's not had a good game. And he's sort of sitting with his hood up and he's not looking at the game so he can't see what's going on. Kourishma gets up to him, puts his hand out to get a high five. Marcus Edwards isn't looking. Kourishma gives him a little slap. Marcus Edwards takes his hood off as if to say, who's slapping me? Seizes Kourishma and goes, yeah, fair enough, and shakes his hand. <laughs> but anyway, it ended 1-0 and it wasn't the most interesting game to watch but it was remarkable in the fact that Victoria Gimaraes managed to get their first goal and their first win of the season while only having one shot on target compared to Passos's nine. And, and that's really the story of this game is how the man of the match for me was Bruno Varela, without whom Passos probably would have got the win, let alone a draw. I mean, he made a number of amazing saves. Passos had nine shots on target, seven shots off target. You know, they had more corners and they really could the game for me. I think uh, I, I agree with you. I thought it was an amazing performance from Bruno Vera. Uh, an interesting story as well. Like he came through at Benfica, um, got loaned out to Ajax for a couple of seasons, um, and has never really cemented that number one spot. I think it's just really interesting to see how Thiago takes his team forward. I think it's his first job as a manager. It's been a number of strange managerial decisions, really. I mean, the way he set the team up last week when he played, we touched on it last week when he played Quaresma and Edwards up front with no recognised striker. And it just didn't work. And I thought he set the team up better this week. But, you know, the performances have not been great at the start of the season. I'm sure there'll be a few questions asked. He's obviously an amazing player, playing career with some incredible team. And he really needs to start getting playing because, yeah, it's, it's lack, they've, got the, they've got the players with the creativity. We know that from last season. But they just haven't done it this season so far. So it's, it's be about him working out and getting this team playing better. Uh, for me, though, as well, I just wanted to mention uh, Luis Carlos uh, for Pagos Ferreira, the 35-year-old Brazilian. An amazing performance, and I was, I was, caught my eye. Um, and then to see he was 35 years old and still like running about that pitch the way he was, um, yeah, really impressed with him. Yeah, so much energy from him. I was, I was impressed with him as well. Um, there were very few redeeming features from the Victoria performance, but I did want to mention Andre Andre as well, who does look like a real mature leader on the pitch. I mean, I wonder whether he will be a really good counterbalance to Kourishma, who comes with that prestige, but perhaps is a bit of a, you know, we've seen stories about him throughout his career that he's a bit of a hothead. Maybe he's not the mo- the best role model on the pitch, but Andre, Andre, they've got someone there who's a great leader on the pitch, off the pitch, looks very mature, very level-headed. And he was, along with Bruno Varela, one of the three bright sparks on the day, I thought. So moving on to our next game, Portman ends versus Sporting. It was only Sporting's second game of the season after missing their first game. Uh, and it saw a first start for Pedro Gonçalves, the former Family Sal player. Uh, and Sporting got off to a real flying start. Um, it was a wonderful solo goal from 19-year-old left-back Nuno Mendes, who did really well to, disp- to dispossess the Portimonense right-back, beat his man and fire home to make it 1-0. I mean, this kid is having a great start to the season. We've both been really impressed whenever we've watched him. Brilliant goal, great composure. I really like how high up the pitch he was, you know, he, uh... I think he was playing. He's been playing. He plays centre back as well, but he's got and you see that in his height and his physicality. But he's also got that. I mean, that the touches for the goal were just sublime. Yeah, and for anyone who's not seen him play, he's a tall, strong, 
uh, left wing back. He's been playing in the left wing back role on the left side of a of the four in a three four three formation. He's got great pace and he's got great technique, and he looks like he's got a really level head as well. So I think this is a kid we both enjoyed watching. I mean, he was rumored with um, Arsenal and Liverpool beginning of the month. You know, forty five million pounds brandished about. Wow. Um, I think it'd be great if they can keep him because he'll have a good season, I think. Well, we've seen how in demand good left-backs can be. So I think if Sporting can keep him for another season, they'll have a real prospect on their hands and probably someone uh, very highly in demand. But it was from the other side that Sporting got their second goal only five minutes later. They were in a really ruthless mood and they started this game off at 100 miles an hour. Uh, and it was Luciano Vieto who picked the ball up on the right-hand side. He looked a real bright spark from the beginning as well, actually. Someone who fans of English football probably would have only known from his lacklustre time at Fulham. Uh, but he looks to be in a much better place at Sporting. Whipped in a lovely ball from the right-hand side, uh, which Nuno Santos, another new summer signing, fired home with a bullet header into the top right corner. And Porto Menens found themselves 2-0 down inside 10 minutes. And at that point, you really did fear for them. They were in real danger of being killed off from this game as soon as it started. Um... But we've seen it a few times where it takes a couple of goals for a team to get their act together. And they seem to get their heads in the game a little bit after that. Credit to the manager as well. He wasn't afraid to make a change early. Uh, and he brought on Wellington, the left winger, came on after 20 minutes. You know, no injury. This was purely tactical. He obviously saw that something wasn't working and made the change at 20 minutes. Uh, and he actually started to look their biggest threat going forward. They didn't have much joy. But him on the left-hand side and the left-back Kande, who wasn't afraid to get forward, I thought they both looked quite promising. They did have a bit of joy. Um, and by the end of the first half, you have to say it was a pretty spirited effort from Porto Marines. I mean, they weren't rewarded with a goal, but, but there was some definite improvement. Yeah, and that improvement continued into the second half. Uh, we saw really very little attacking moves from Sporting. I mean, they seemed to be happy to sit back and soak up the pressure. But Porto Menens had a few chances, um, especially, I thought, through uh, Ayrton Boamorte. You mentioned him oh, yeah. last week. Is he uh, Boamorte's nephew? Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, and he looked pretty decent. He was playing on the right. Uh, Wellington was playing on the left, and they had a little bit of joy down the wings. They seemed to peg back the sporting fullbacks pretty well. Uh, and for, yeah, for the rest of the second half, Sporting seemed pretty happy to sit off, um, which in their defence, they did pretty well. I mean, they've got some great defenders, Coates and Fedel. Uh, looked very assured at the back, I thought. They brought on a young 19-year-old centre-back called Gonzalo Inacio. Uh, he came on. I thought he did very well. Uh, yeah, and Porto Menendez never got their reward, really, although they did play some good football. I did have my man of the match down as Wellington, actually, because I thought, credit to him, he came on and played well for the 70 minutes that he was on the pitch for, and I thought he was Porto Menendez's biggest threat. But yeah, a very professional performance from Sporting, who wrapped the game up in 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm a bit worried for Porto Menendez. Uh, they've only got one goal this season so far. Uh, they've obviously lost Tabata, who came on for Sporting uh, in this game. And it's that creativity and the goals and where they're going to come from. The wingers look all right, like you said, but for me, it's the, it's the goals that are going to worry me. Yeah, I mean, Sporto seems to be having a lot of joy at fullback. You know, we mentioned Nuno Mendes playing well. I mentioned Pedro Porro playing well last weekend, last week. So they seem to have their defence and their creativity sorted out pretty well. But yeah, I do wonder whether they need a potent goal scorer. There are rumours that they'll make a move before deadline day for Paulinho from Braga. And if that came off, that would be a pretty sensational move because he's not going to come cheap. No, I think that'd be good. I think they've also rumoured of Jao Mario from Inter uh, on loan, who would be a nice addition to that midfield. Um, well, he played for them previously, so it'd be a nice homecoming for him. Yeah, exactly. I think the issue is the wages. I think uh, he's on £2 million a year, and I think there's a salary cap of £1 million. Um, so whether they can agree to that with Inter... Uh, but that could be a really good signing for them. Yeah, and I think with Pedro Gonçalves, if they can get him playing well, and if someone like João Mario came in, yeah, I think their midfield is starting to look very strong too. They've also got the, some might see it, the benefit of not being in Europe and and just having the league to focus on. You know, and they've got two wins so far. I know they've only played twice, but 100% record if they can keep that going. Yeah, well, you mentioned them wanting to close the gap on Benfica. I think for me, perhaps a more realistic game or be them trying to close the gap on Porto, who I think they will see as a much more realistic benchmark for them to aim from in terms of the quality of players that they've got and the type of points they're putting on the board by the end of the season. So yeah, one of the biggest scorelines of the weekend was um, Tondeo Braga, which ended 4-0 to Braga. The result they've wanted uh, all season, really, uh, having had a quite a poor start. But for me, the scoreline didn't really reflect uh, the match and how it pounded out. Braga got three goals in very quick succession uh, within a eight minutes and that just sort of almost killed the game off really uh, Bruno Viana got a goal from a corner a good header 
And then Gelano, who had a very good game actually on the left wing, got a, a really good shot from distance. And then Ricardo Horta got uh, the goal for the third. Um, Gelano finding him in the box. Nice finish as well. And then just before half-time, uh, Gelano got a headed goal from a corner again. And, you know, going at 4-0 at half-time, it was really job done. It just, yeah, it just still wasn't a convincing performance uh, going into the second half from Braga. Tondea, I thought, played all right. They, they create their own, a few of their own chances, a few of them from board mistakes from the Braga defence. Uh, the number 11 for Tondea, Strokaj, uh, found himself in a couple of good uh, situations, could have got a goal or two. But then Braga also had a fair, another chance. To, they could have made it five towards the end of the game to die and missed a, a late penalty. 4 0 was a, a big scoreline, but I, I just didn't get, you know, to be fair, they got a clean sheet, but it just wasn't that, it wasn't a 4 0 performance for me. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, even though they won 4 0, it wasn't a completely convincing performance because we've criticised Braga recently for not being very convincing and getting poor results. So on paper, 4 0 would be exactly the response you'd want, but I think it did show that there were still some frailties in that Braga squad. I mean, to be fair, Carlos Carvel came out after the game and said, look, we basically played the same as we did against Santa Clara when they lost uh, lost there. You can sort of understand that potentially the difference this time was that they just managed to finish their chances. You know, There's still something missing for me. Whether they bring someone in this transfer win- at the end of the transfer window, we'll have to see. But yeah, just something's not adding up. Uh, there's potential there for sure. They've got good players. Their defence, I think they've got a really good, a strong defensive line. But um, it's maybe in the middle of the park I think they might need to look at. Yeah, I think that's probably a very fair point. I mean, Braga are one of those teams that come the end of the season will expect to see them challenging for European places. So I think they'll be wanting some more convincing performances. And, you know, football's a very psychological game. Maybe it's just a case of getting a few wins under their belt and the players will start playing more positively and playing at their best again. Um Tondela have impressed me somewhat in recent games. I'm not entirely sure why. I think they've been quite um, solid and I think they played well as a team, but they were pretty ineffective this game. Yeah, there's, there's there's glimpses there. I just They'll be down there at the end of the season, I feel. But um, there hasn't been that spark for me yet from them. Been no sort of stand-up player. I think together as a team, they're all right, but there's been nothing for me to latch on having seen the se- uh, so far this season. I mean, the one thing I wanted to say was fair play to the... Uh, Tondela keeper, who you gave a pretty damning appraisal of last week, but I thought he made a couple of good saves this week. No, he absolutely did, man. And like, that, that's the thing. Like, I can, I can say whatever, and it, you know, it doesn't mean a thing. Like, I, I hope, I hope he, I hope he comes on the season. He's such a stand-up player, just from his physicality, like being so stick thing, wearing the baggy kit. But no, no, fair play. He did make some really some good saves, but you know, he's still letting four. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's another one who's been listening clearly because he bucked up his ideas a little bit. <laughs> Well, moving on to our next game, it was Family Sal versus Rio Ave. This was one that you watched, Barney. What did you make of it? Yeah, so obviously Rio Ave were coming off the back of that um, fantastic uh, performance in the Europa League against AC Milan on Thursday. Yeah, what a performance that was. But we should probably mention that game, by the way. Yeah, well, we touched on it briefly. Um, they took it to pens. I think it was quite a late equaliser in normal time, uh, having gone one nil down. Then an early goal in extra... Uh, the first half of extra time and then literally like one of the last kicks of you know 120 minutes plus extra time uh, they give away a ridiculous penalty um, it was just shocking I mean what is the centre-back doing they worked so hard to get back into that game so they're playing AC Milan they're obviously the underdogs right they're 1-0 down up until about the 80th minute and they get a really really good equaliser from Gerardes I thought um, they'd worked so hard to get back into the game you know, the first, within the first five minutes of extra of extra time, Jelson Dallas scored to make it 2-1. Everyone's so excited. They're holding on. They're defending for their lives. It's the 120th minute. And it was just a ridiculous penalty to give away. It was so stupid. It was bizarre. It was, yeah, just the ball comes over and he just, the defender is at Borokovic, just is flapping and just touches it with his hand to like no need for it. And then, of course, Shanaloglu puts away that penalty uh, to take it to penalties. Um, and it, was it was the end? 9-10 or something like that on pens so the, yeah so the penalty shootout ended 10-9 to 9, I think but it was just incredible and you know what this really shows how penalties are a psychological thing because we watched 7 perfect penalties from each team and then all it took was one person to miss and the whole thing just went insane. everyone's heads went yeah everybody's heads went I mean so AC Milan were the first team to miss a penalty um, I'm not sure who it was. I think it was one of the defenders who stepped up to take the penalty and put it over the bar. And th- at this point, we're into sudden death. So all um, Rio Ave have to do is score the penalty. So the next Rio Ave player steps up. He's got the penalty to win it. 
puts it low left-hand side, hits the first post, comes across the face of goal, hits the second post and comes out. So they've missed. Keepers end up taking the penalty. Oh, the keeper, uh, both keepers missed a penalty. Donnarumma steps up to take a penalty and missed. Then the Rio goalkeeper had a penalty to win it and he missed it. And you know what? I'm going to say something controversial here because I know goalkeepers shouldn't be taking penalties, but that was a poor penalty. I'm sorry. He needs to be criticized. The Rio goalkeeper needs to be criticized for his penalty. I mean, you're a goalkeeper. You don't know how to take penalties. You've got the penalty to win the game. What do you do? You fucking bury it down the middle. You just smash <laughs> it home straight down the middle. You don't do anything stupid like try and place it in the top right-hand corner with the inside of your foot, which obviously goes over. Um, it was absolutely insane. Yeah, Rio have had another chance to win it. Uh, Giraldes, who'd already scored one penalty in this same penalty shootout, steps up and again tries to go for the right-hand side and hits the post. It was the Rio Ave captain who was responsible for the penalty that lost it for them. I mean, I think it was one of the first penalties to actually be saved by Donnarumma. But yeah, heartbreak for Rio Ave. I mean, I don't know what your opinion is. This might come across as a bit harsh, right? Because a lot of the narrative after this game was, you know, our oh, well done Rio Ave for such heroic performances, for working so hard. But this is going to sound harsh, but I think a certain amount of criticism has to be levelled at those players in that moment because they had not one opportunity, but they had three opportunities to win that match on penalties and three players messed up. I don't know, man. Like, obviously, the keeper was, was a poor pen, but for me, the few that hit the post, you want your players to be hitting at those corners. You know, I'd rather them hitting the post and the keeper save it personally. No, yeah, you no, know, fair enough. You do want them to be putting it in those areas where the goalkeeper's not going to reach it. But yeah, tragic for them. I mean, it would have been massive. It would have been massive. You know, the, the, the money, but the. Even that exposure, you know, um, it would have been huge for them. You just sort of have this feeling as well that that performance against AC Milan, you know, they they probably would have even done something in, in the Europa League, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think it's credit to them that we're even describing this as a missed opportunity and not just, you know, a heroic defeat. One thing I have been feeling so far in the league is they have had that little hangover from the Thursday night, you know. Um, this game ended in a 1-1 draw, so three draws for them so far, no wins. You know, in terms of the league, probably a blessing in disguise. It wasn't a great game. A lot of players seemed not 100%. Um, Dan and Gerald started, though, which um, I think that's the first time they've had this season, and they're both players we've picked out previously. Um, but for me, though, it was a Fumascal player, um, Ruben Lamiras, number 10. He seems really good on the wing and plays on the right-hand side, but he's left-footed. Worked really hard defensively as well. Had a few good chances, one cleared off the line. Um, he breaks the deadlock, a nice long-range shot into the bottom corner. But he's just a, an interesting player. He died at Tottenham's academy. Ended up going to Coventry for a season or two and then Plymouth Argyle and Devon. And then when Fomascal uh, got promoted, they signed him on a pretty small fee. And he, I thought he was really, really good. Really creative, worked hard. Yeah, I thought he was a standout player on the pitch, really, on the day. And you're right, what a story as well, coming from Plymouth Argyle in League Two. Great bit of scouting from then. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he caught my eye and to find out he's, he came from where he's come from is quite surprising. But they're, yeah, from Ascal, like, uh, they were set up for the counter-attack, which they done well last season. Um, almost caught uh, Real on a few occasions. Um, Real have had a few of their own chances. They brought on Carlos Mane at half-time and that, that helped them a little bit. I perhaps haven't given Carlos Mane enough praise because he is, I think he's a fantastic player. He's got a lovely little nutmeg on Patrick William, um, if you can see that. No, he was fantastic, um, creating a few chances. But it actually came from the centre-back uh, for Real, um, number 33, Santos. A really good header from a corner. Uh, just jumped high, a lot higher than everyone else. Zalombin for Famascal came out to punch it when he probably should have stayed on the line. But... Um, Take nothing away from the header. Riyav's goalkeeper, Kizek, who you know, missed that pen in the Europa League, but he actually had a good game, some really good saves. Gil Diaz came on for Mouskao later towards the end of the game, just coming on alone for Monaco. few glimpses, but not enough time really to do anything. And then otherwise, yeah, Bruno Jordao, number 66 for Mouskao, um, on loan from Wolves. I thought he had a quite good game in midfield, a few nice touches. Do you think 1-1 was a fair result in the end? I think it was, yeah. I think we have clearly of it is a struggle to play on a Thursday and a Sunday week for three weeks straight. So uh, potentially, I think they'll be glad to, um, you know, have a bit more time to focus on the league. And they've also got the international break now. Yeah, for Mascara, for me, just for the first time I've seen them, they've shown glimpses of what they were doing last season. You know, with the counter attacks, and they've, they're showing a bit of promise as well. So I hope they develop a bit more this season. Yeah, both teams, I think, who are competing on a similar level. So it'll be interesting. See how they compare as the season goes on. 
All right, moving on to Moro Lorenz versus Boa Vista. Uh, and a lot of people listening to this might actually be aware of this game from one uh, incredible moment that happened in the first half. And that was Angel Gomez, the former Manchester United man, the star of this Boa Vista team at the moment, scoring an incredible long-range goal from inside his own half. I mean, he's come from Manchester United. He really was channeling a bit of his inner David Beckham with this one. Um I mean, we're, we're definitely going to be sharing this one on our Twitter if you want to go over and have a look at this goal, if you haven't seen it already. Just a fantastic bit of inspiration. Uh, there's a bit of scrappy play on the halfway line between Boa Vista and Moreland's players. In the end, Angel Gomez breaks through into their half, picks his head up, sees the goalkeeper of his line, takes the chance. And what a finish. I mean, the, the best bit about this goal for me was watching the keeper just walking towards his own goal, watching yeah. the ball hit the back of the net. His reaction was priceless. I mean, I found from watching watching the games in this league that the keepers are quite do play quite high off the high off their line quite a lot. There's sometimes they have to sweep up the thing, and um, I guess Andrew Gomez just coming to this league, he would that would say he would have noticed quite early on, and so it definitely would have been in his mind. Um, a wonderful finish, man! Really, really good. Yeah. Really nice celebration as well. It really meant something to him that. Yeah, he was clearly really happy to get his first goal for the team, and I'm sure it will be. Uh, the first of many and that, you know, it was a very special goal uh, to open the scoring and it was a moment of brilliance in what was a pretty unremarkable game uh, Boa Vista went one up and then Warren's got an equaliser through a pretty bizarre penalty I mean this was the other moment in the game for me worth talking about the Boa Vista goalkeeper went very quickly from hero to zero when when he went from making a pretty incredible save from the modern striker Abreu. I mean, he made a remarkable one-handed save to tip the ball onto the bar from a pretty lethal shot, which looked destined for the top corner, to just a ridiculous foul for the penalty. I mean, to describe it, a ball, a hopeful ball gets punted into the box, which um, the modern striker attacks, and he goes for a punch, and he just gets nowhere near it, and he ends up doing like a Superman dive and flattening the modern striker. Gives away. It was a really poorly judged move from the keeper, and he gave away a stupid penalty. And it was the same striker, uh, Abreu, who dispatched it. But a real bizarre moment from the uh, Boa Vista keeper. And that was the only other goal in the game. Uh, it ended one-one. Other than that, I thought it was a pretty decent, even game with both teams having having their share of the chances. Apart from, like you said, that moment of balance in the keeper, I think Boa Vista could have potentially held on for the win there. I thought. The partnership of Rami and Awazium at the back uh, is definitely better than with that. Uh, with Gomez in, they seemed a bit more solid. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, nothing really for me. I've, I noticed that there's a there were two brothers playing in the middle of the park for Moriens, the Suarez brothers, um, but yes. I couldn't really find any information about them. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for a second their dad was the manager because he's also got Suarez as a second name, but um, I don't think it is. <laughs> Just another Suarez. <laughs> I think we're scr- clutching at straws there a little bit. But yeah, no, very decent game. But to be honest with you, just make sure you go and check out that goal from Angel Gomez because that was an absolute treat. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, we, we've mentioned it last part as well, I think, about the freedom he's been given in, in that Bovis to sell. But it, that's just, that just really cements it for me. I think they've been really smart with how they're playing him, giving him this belief, this freedom. Not everyone's going to be taking uh, shots from the halfway line. So, yeah, that, Really great goal. Fantastic. Saturday at 3.30 um, was the first game in the league to host fans. Um, it was Santa Clara v. Gio uh, Vicente. Um, I think 850 fans were in there. Um, but on the television, you know, it looked like there was only about 100. They were so spread out. Mm. But um, it was nice. So you could hear them on the TV, which was a really good... Uh, it was really nice to hear. Game ended 0-0. Both teams sort of out-defended each other. I wrote they was, you know, they were both quite solid. Santa Clara... I think they had a good start, obviously, with the two wins. Uh, Santana get Tiago Santana getting a, a few goals. He sort of had a few chances. I mean, his, another thing I saw was his work rate, and he works incredibly hard. You know, yeah, he showed a bit of class, but just not enough to get a goal. Um, the Gil Vicente defender, Nogueira, number forty-four, uh, Brazilian. He had a fantastic game. Um, his performance was fantastic. A really solid defender, but can tackle and move the ball forward and um, create attacks himself. Um, so he's one to keep an eye out for. 
apart from that, yeah, the the highlight of the game for me was perhaps um, the Santa Clara president, uh, Rui Cordero, and the camera found him at half time in a in a group of people with masks on, but he had no mask, just smoking a fag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite good. Um, but no, apart from that, it was yeah, a bit of a stalemate, really. Yeah, I mean, nil nil in the end, but. Santa Clara, I think, will be, quite, will be relatively pleased with one point. It keeps them, keeps them pretty high up in the table and it keeps their unbeaten start to the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the key. I think that their defences look pretty good and that's what's hope it's going to keep getting them points if they keep playing like that. Um, they've also got Lincoln, uh, the Brazilian comeback from injury. He got uh, seven assists last season. And uh, Fabio Cardoso, another player to come in at the back line. They, they hope he might even get stronger. We'll have to see. I feel like you got lumbered with all the rubbish games again this week because the next one you watched was Nacional versus Belenens and that was another nil-nil. Yeah, I mean... Um, once similar to the Santa Clara game, really, there wasn't many highlights in this one. But it's just going to be a similar story for both teams, I think. They defended all right, and that's going to be the key for keeping them up this season, both of them. Better ends, I think we've already seen this season playing five at the back, being solid. Uh, last season, they conceded the second most amount of them, was 54. So to go three games and only concede two, that's a much improvement from them. I think ultimately, see Nacional with a better team. Uh, Brian Riascos had a few chances. Their centre-back, Pedro, number four, um, real threat in the air. Uh, he's a 23-year-old from on loan from Palmeiras in the Brazilian league, so um, he caught my eye as well. He, is, he was a bit of a presence. And Vincent too as well for Sydney Nacional, on loan from Mets. He just was playing on the right for them. He had a few glimpses, but um, yeah, I think for both teams, you know, having a, a strong defence this season will hopefully do them well. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to apologise to any Bell and Lynch fans because we really haven't discussed them very much on the last three episodes. I promise in the next, in the coming weeks, we'll be looking out for an excuse to feature them a little bit more heavily. Yeah, I think I think we definitely will because I think they've got a really interesting history, haven't they? I think they're one of the oldest clubs in the league, but recently reformed. Uh, we'll, we'll have to look into that ourselves. But um, like I said, definitely improvement on last season in terms of the defence from what we've seen in these three games. Right, well, we thought um, each week it would be helpful to do a little table roundup to give you an idea of how the table's shaping up. So three games in, and there's a few surprises at each end of the table. Um, at the top end, the big surprise is Santa Clara, who, despite, as Barney just described, playing at a pretty dull stalemate against Gio Vicente. And that one point sees them on seven points, and second, behind Benfica, of course, who are three wins from three on nine points. Porto in second, that loss that loss wasn't too off for their position on the table. They're still third, but three points, as you alluded to earlier, Barney. Three points behind Benfica at this stage of the season is all, already a bit of a worry. I mean, so far, it's where Benfica can drop points in it it's hard to see really I think um, Nassi now up in six is a great start for them um, they've obviously winners in Division 2 last season um, but I've been quite impressed with them very strong start and, and then again unbeaten they are um, looking down towards the bottom of the table of course for Rennes zero points for three games they sit rock, they sit rock bottom Tondela on one point Portman ends on one point I think we've both spoken about how we're worried about those teams uh, Bo Vista Despite some promising performances, only on two points in 14th. Uh, and of course, Rio Ave and Braga just above them, who've both made pretty slow starts to the season. But we expect them to improve. I mean, yeah, and that's the, we also just talked about, but better than those up in night. One win and one draw. You know, those are the sort of things that they need to keep doing this season. Keep keep those points coming in gradually, even if it is draws, to keep them up. Yeah, very healthy. And then, of course, Maritima up in fifth currently. I, I could see them staying up, up and around that area. Yeah, another surprise package this season. And, yeah, we were both very impressed with them this week. Right, but moving on to the far more depressing matters of the long ball football fantasy football league, which is me versus Barney. And it's if you haven't listened to the last two episodes, it's been pretty depressing stuff. I mean, we're both pretty rubbish at this. And this week, I managed to get exactly the same points total as I have for the last two weeks. 42 points. Some standout players for me, Bruno Varela. Uh, I'm giving myself credit for, for seeing his uh, good performances. Nine points from him, a clean sheet and a lot of good save. Did you have him in your team? Of course I had him on my team. That's a great shot, man. I know what I'm doing, clearly. Uh, Edgio I had from Braga. Six points for the clean sheet, although I would have hoped he would have chipped in with a goal or an assist or something. Uh, and I had Angel Gomez, who only got seven points. I feel like he should be given some special points for that goal that he scored. Shortly, he should be getting some kind of reward for that. But yeah, other than that, pretty much a load of rubbish I mean Porto scored two goals and I managed to only get three points for Alex Tellers I'm not sure how I managed that how did you do? I got absolutely saved man I had um, 
Uh, it's an, I made some really bad decisions. So first of all, I had uh, Marshall Sim, the Portland goalkeeper, as my sole captain in goal. That he didn't play after <laughs> And then I had Vertonghen as well starting, and he didn't play. He's injured. But thankfully, they, that meant I had Nanu, who I'd put on the bench, coming in and giving me seven points. So that's absolutely saved me this week. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, yeah, I had Everton as my captain, so that got me four points. Um one with Brian Riascos, as I mentioned last week, he only got me three, Paulino five, big tank three. But um, yeah, uh, Ryan Gold's on the bench, get, get me, could have got me three points, but instead I had Gil Diaz on getting me one because <laughs> he came five minutes. So, how many points um, did you have total this week? 38. Oof, rough. So, Albert yeah. maintains his lead with 42 points. I'm on 128 total. What are you on? Oh, I'm only 10 points ahead. I've got 118. Well, we've got an international break coming up, which means gives us time to get our act together because this has been absolutely embarrassing so far. Yeah, I need to do some research. Big points next week, all right, from both of us, big points. Uh, but I'd like to break 40. <laughs> which brings us nicely on to next week, where we would usually be recommending you some games in the Premier League to watch, but of course, it is the international break, so there's no domestic league action. Um, but we will be doing another podcast and we will be doing a transfer special as we record this, it is the European transfer deadline day. The Portuguese transfer deadline is actually tomorrow. Um, and it looks like there's been a lot of movement with Porto and Benfica making some big signings and some big exits in the last couple of days. So we'll be doing a full transfer special. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it will be a good opportunity for us to look in, to find out a bit more information about some of these players, do a bit of research, take a look at particularly into the Brazilian league, man. Mm. Because there's been so many transfers from there. And um, yeah, so many players I want to find a bit more about. Yeah, so next week we'll be looking deeper into the transfer windows some of these teams have had. We've alluded to it as the podcasts have gone on. We'll be taking a much more in-depth look at the transfer window this season. But So that just leaves us with our moment of the week before we say goodbye. I think it's your week this week. My turn to choose this week. Okay, well, I did think about this before we started recording. I mean, there was a few to choose from. I was tempted to go with Nanu's third goal for Maritimo from Porto because... That was a belt. That was a belt. And we urge you to watch the highlights. He's absolutely buried that goal. Um, yeah, head over to our Twitter page where I'll be sharing the highlights for that Porto game. I think everyone's going to see this coming. How can I not go for Angel Gomez with that amazing goal from the halfway line? Ugh. Yeah. Any watch that goal again? I think I texted you when it happened saying it's very on brand for our podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Angel Gomez goal from the halfway line. Oh, right up our street. Podcast gods were looking down on us at that moment. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great one. Yeah, so we'll be sharing that over on our Twitter page. You can follow us on Twitter, at LongBallFootyBall, um, where we'll be sharing all the highlights from the games, any exciting moments, and any pressing news about Portuguese football. But yeah, that's it from us this week. Join us next week when we do our transfer special. But yeah, until then, I'll see you next week, Bonnie. See you next week.